All right, welcome back to our show, folks. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our previous episode on what our NFT is. And due to popular demand, this episode is going to be on the environmental impacts of mining anything. Mining Bitcoin or mining, mining Ethereum, which is the prominent um, blockchain on which NFTs are hosted. And in this particular episode, we're going to debunk um, just that debate. Without taking uh, sides, we will state our bias up front, but also state some of the facts and um, give you all of the information you need to make up your mind on whether it is harmful for the environment or not. All right, let's begin. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. Okay, Murga, I'm pretty excited about this episode. I happen to have a, a big interest in the environmental debate around Bitcoin in general and, and Ethereum. It was my earlier opinion that I, I, I disliked Bitcoin for its environmental impact. That was where I kind of started with Bitcoin after I discovered how much energy it used. I was like, wow, that's really unnecessary and wasteful. And so I formed the opinion against Bitcoin uh, because of how much energy it used. And then the more I looked into it, the more I realized that the uh, the debate's not as cut and dry as uh, as the original statistics will will lead you to believe. And so I appreciated the nuance of the uh, of the the details once I discovered them. Yeah, and again, everyone who's listening, if you haven't checked out Keegan's newsletter yet, just the last one that he posted was on uh, the environmental debate on crypto. <laughs> it's a very long newsletter, but it has. Um, an argument and then a counter argument against it. So, so essentially, if you want to have a 16 minute read on the environmental deb debate on crypto, there's your newsletter. It'll be linked in the show notes. So I did try to make it as unbiased as possible just because. Well, uh, you stated your biases up front in the newsletter itself. Yeah. So I yeah. like that style. Right. Let's do that right now. State our biases. Yeah. Well, our biases are for sustaining Bitcoin and sustaining innovation on blockchains. So NFT being one of the innovation, it's great for artists, period. So <laughs> what? No, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And Bitcoin, it its value propositions are, you know, great for the reasons that we have stated in previous podcasts. So our bias is towards supporting Bitcoin's existence and innovation's existence. Now, when it comes to the amount of energy and electricity it consumes, there's a couple of things to be said there. I think that we can do a, a little bit more justice to stating our biases uh, with respect to like how much we're invested in Bitcoin. Like we are 95% invested in Bitcoin. That's that's a pretty big bias. Obviously, we want Bitcoin to succeed. And I do think that to a certain degree, it affects our ability to perceive its environmental impact. Uh, because we're invested in it. We obviously don't want it to go away. We want more people to invest in it. Um, but that being said, we don't particularly care if you do or not. Yeah, and I can see us a little bit of a nuance there because, you know, even in this in the newsletter, you said you're pro-environment and we are conscious in every way possible where we can be. But the fact of the matter is we're not like Greta Thunberg level conscious or David Suzuki level conscious right. where we won't travel or use the use airplanes to travel. And we're not about to take a boat to to India. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think we could. <laughs> well, I mean, we anyway, <laughs> the, the point is that we are we are conscious of how our choices impact the environment and whatever small little bit we can do, we do. But when it comes to um, something larger like Bitcoin mining or um, NFTs existing on a blockchain, it, yeah, I, I can see how it's a little bit of a nuanced discussion for us to present since we want the, the other side of this to succeed. So um, to, if we were to answer it, Keegan, in a very cut and dry method, is Bitcoin mining harmful to the environment? What would you say the answer is? I would say no. I would immediately say no. If it was just a cut and dry answer that you're looking for, yes or no, I would, I would say no. The long answer is maybe. And uh, 
And I think the super long answer is no as well, but uh, that that's just my opinion. Right. So, like, why is it that you think um, you think this way? Because let's let's just say that we ask a layperson about um, what they think Bitcoin mining does to the environment, and let's say that they don't know what Bitcoin mining is. So then, if we told them that it's a bunch of servers that are run um, and they span acres of land um, simply to consume electricity in order to try to solve this one problem uh, in order to uh, mine a blockchain. That's essentially what mining is. And this happens all over the world. Um, you know, if, like with that really base understanding of mining, I feel like someone would say, wow, that seems like if there's only one block that gets mined and uh, not everybody gets a reward because of it, then it seems like a really wa huge waste of electricity. Right. Yeah, and I think that that's a pretty valid argument. Um, it's a winner-takes-all kind of situation with Bitcoin mining, which means that 99.9% .9 of the miners that are trying to mine a particular block don't get a reward for the energy spent trying to mine that block. Only one computer gets that reward. Right, so yes, that is wasteful. Yes, that is a waste of energy spent in order to try to mine that block. Keegan, from your newsletter, you had a different take on this. What was it? Uh, well, I started by, I didn't exactly start with this. Uh, it's actually further down the page, but I state two axioms that we must first agree on in order to then um, continue with the argument. If we can't get past these two axioms, then it's really hard for us to, to have a, a debate on whether or not uh, mining is harmful in general. The first axiom is uh, that Bitcoin is money. If we can't agree that Bitcoin is money and like it's a useful money or it's a good thing for us to be experimenting with in the first place, like if you're of the opinion that Bitcoin is just trash or it's like a, a weird, stupid internet money phenomenon, then there's no point in discussing whether or not the energy used for it is um, is useful or, or harmful to the environment. You're, you're obviously just going to say it's harmful because Bitcoin is, is silly. Right. And then the second axiom is uh, more energy use is not in and of itself a bad thing for the environment. And the example I'd give for this is like public transportation, airplanes, right? They're a massive drain or a massive user of, uh, of energy and electricity and, and are they're a huge driver of uh, the global carbon footprint. Right. But yet they are actually responsible for a massive amount of productivity and economic benefit for the entire world. So I would just I would justify the use of these planes by saying, well, the energy use is actually creating more uh, economic potential, more economic value uh, in the whole world than the carbon footprint is a detriment to the environment. And it, it, I've I've talked to staunch environmentalists before that just take the position that more energy use is bad. And if, if we're starting from that point, then Bitcoin doesn't really have a leg to stand on because it's it's an irrefutable fact that Bitcoin uses tons and tons of energy. The yeah. usual statistic goes like this. Bitcoin uses more energy than the country X, the country Argentina, or, you know, it keeps on going up. Um, so that's the usual way to start that argument. And if you're of the opinion that more energy use is bad and it's in and of itself a bad thing for the environment, then then uh, the rest of the debate kind of kind of falls flat. Yeah, well, usage of energy is <laughs> something that we're very reliant on if we live in a modern day society. I just can't see living a comfortable lifestyle without using electricity. Like if we're living in the forest and then cooking with firewood or whatever other means of heat is being applied to us making food and making our own food like i can just see that as being the least carbon generate generative way to to live if you know someone is truly pro-environment but if you live in an apartment or if you live in a house and you use the car for daily commute um and you use even public transport instead of walking like that's one extreme right um the, ex the extreme being living in the in the forest and then the, the other extreme is Oh, gosh, leaving your lights on, driving a Hummer or really like diesel and diesel or petrol intensive car. Driving to your neighbor's house who's three doors down, for example. Yeah, like excessive, I'm not... like extraneous circumstances or examples like that. And someone might even say running or owning a Bitcoin mining farm. <laughs> right, exactly. So that, that being the other extreme. So 
uh, like I think people in general fall somewhere in the middle because uh, there are very few extremes on both sides. There's very few people who've decided that in order to impact the environment less and less and leave a smaller carbon footprint, they would live in the woods and um, live a very uh, earth-friendly lifestyle, a very small percentage of people. And then a very small percentage of people are on the extreme side as well. The reason to state that is because... Um, just to point out that we are very reliant on the use of energy for day-to-day -day living. And there's actually, so I, I bring this statistic up in the newsletter uh, where like, more energy use by a particular country uh, is correlated, uh, not causated, but correlated uh, with a higher GDP and GDP is correlated with higher standard of living and, and in general, higher rates of, uh, of quote unquote happiness, however they wish to, to measure that. Um, and the reason why I say that is because energy can be thought of as stored time and so can money. Money can also be thought of as stored time. And so the more energy we're using, uh, we actually gain efficiencies all throughout our life. And I give some pretty trivial examples in, in, the, in uh, the newsletter. So I, I say, OK, well, we have refrigerators now. And what refrigerators allow us to do is use energy to store food so we don't have to hunt on a day-to-day -day basis or go to the grocery store on a day-to-day -day basis, right? We can go to the grocery store once, uh, pick up a bunch of meat or whatever uh, items need to be kept cold and store it for the week. And that saves us a bunch of time. You're smiling. Please let us know what, oh, what you're smiling about. Oh, well, because when I was editing and proofreading your newsletter, I took out the hunting bit. <laughs> I was like, hey, can, if anyone's reading this on the internet, they're probably not going to go hunt, hunting for food. They're probably not hunters. Yeah. So, right. I mean, your uncle is, but he still uses the internet. And well, he doesn't go hunting. Here's on what I'm thinking. Like hundreds of years ago, when the train engine and combustible engines weren't available, they weren't around, they weren't invented yet. Uh, we weren't using as much energy. And yes, the Industrial Revolution is largely responsible for the uh, the greenhouse gas effect that, that we're seeing around today. But that's only because that we've been developing and working on combustible engines for the last 200, 300 years. We're only now transitioning into a greener economy. And uh, I'm, I'm... It's a very slow transition. It's a really slow transition. I'm hopeful that we're, we're going to be able to pull that off. But this transition away from fossil fuels is really tough. The point being, though... Uh, that the entire standard of living of the entire earth has risen significantly in the past hundred years. And uh, there's, there's really good science around, uh, around the, the better, efficient, more efficient use of, of energy. Uh, so just for example, you can transport goods uh, a lot further, a lot farther for a lot cheaper with, uh, with a train engine. You can start to put food in places uh, like cities a lot faster so that you can have a city of 4 million people so or 6 million, 10 million people. Before the Industrial Revolution, that wasn't exactly possible because the food would just straight up spoil by the time you got it there. Um, and so the Industrial Revolution allowed us to, uh, uh, and like the better use of energy allowed us to uh, walk forthright into uh, a new society, the society that we're living in today. And there's good arguments about like, hey, we should go back where we came from and live more in harmony with the earth. But that's I, not going to be possible. I agree. I think the only not way is forward. Scale. Yeah. Well, like, even if it was the only way forward, we're just going to have to find a way to um, maintain our yeah, our ease of living or the kind of luxury that we have to live in a modern day society and still be harmonious with the environment. And there's lots of ways we can do that too. But coming back to growing on growing your dependence on the use of renewable energy. Now, this is something that is not known very well when people hear about Bitcoin mining. And that is in order for Bitcoin mining to be profitable, you need to use cheap electricity. In order to use cheap electricity, most miners use renewable resources of energy because they are cheaper than using the electricity produced by coal. That's right. And, and this is actually a really beautiful aspect of Bitcoin. It was the largest driving factor that allowed me to change my mind about the, uh, the environmental impact of Bitcoin. It's actually uh, leverages one of the most reliable human emotions that we know of, and that is greed. So... Uh, Right. The, the mining profitability equation is based on how much you pay for electricity. If you pay less and less for electricity, then the more and more profitable your mining operation is going to be. And so that forces these, these Bitcoin mining companies to go and seek the cheapest forms of, of electricity. And in the last decade, we have saw a switch from fossil fuels being the cheapest to solar and wind energy. 
being the cheapest. And so these miners, they're already they've already established their their bases, their mining farms next to green energy farms, and they're going to continue to do so. There are still mining farms in existence that uh, that use uh, fossil fuels based um, power plants that, that are positioned right beside them, for example. And yeah, but we're seeing more and more of them go the green energy way because, well, they're greedy and they, they want more money. They want the, their operation to be more profitable. And that's that's reliable. We can expect them to do that. That's that's kind of what we can expect most businesses to do. It's an interesting way to capture the human emotion of greed and put it in the favor of the environment. Yeah, it's um, it, it says something about the game theory that's embedded in the entire system of, of Bitcoin. I, I don't know whether or not Satoshi Nakamoto had the foresight to, to look into this or predict this, but if we forecast this into the next decade or 20 or 30, 40 years, uh, if we propagate this effect of them seeking a more cheaper and cheaper source of electricity, then we're, we, we may see uh, the green energy revolution accelerated by uh, by Bitcoin rather than the reverse, which is what is so often the narrative uh, portrayed by the media. It also gives us a lot of context into why Tesla, like a famously green energy and solar um, proponent, solar yeah, yeah, proponent for solar energy, why they bought one point five billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Right, there was a bit of an irony uh, present in the in the the narrative of the media when when Tesla did that. Like, well, why would Tesla invest in this? cryptocurrency that's so bad for the environment as well maybe they did their research maybe they discovered something um that uh, that the mainstream media is not not necessarily portraying so there's that other side of that argument there for sure what do you think in ruga uh i had a thought oh, and no, I, I just lost kept on it. interrupting no, it's all i was good. on a train you were you were on a train um so i was thinking that for some of our audience that doesn't really know why bitcoin mining is profitable in the first place to do a really quick recap, Bitcoin mining is an operation where miners running the Bitcoin software receive Bitcoin from the, the Bitcoin from the Bitcoin software. Um, yeah, wait, I think I forgot what I said. No, I'm gonna you, recap. you're on a roll there. Yep. Uh, yeah, but I forgot what I said when I was on a roll. Oh, gosh. OK, so <laughs> basically the Bitcoin network rewards miners with Bitcoin in or when they produce a block and add the block to the blockchain. So people all around the world, miners all around the world, are competing to solve a problem. And it sounds silly, but stay with me here. They're competing to solve a problem because it's essentially like a trial and error brute force method to find the answer to this problem. And the miner, group of miners that gets to solve this problem first, gets to add a block to the blockchain. And for doing that, gets rewarded from the blockchain, from the Bitcoin blockchain, with Bitcoin as well as the fees that were paid uh, on the transactions that were included in the block that was mined. So the miner gets a reward of currently six and a quarter Bitcoin plus the sum of all of the fees that were spent in order to make the transaction possible on the Bitcoin network. Beautiful. And that's the reason why Bitcoin miners mine Bitcoin, because they get Bitcoin from mining Bitcoin. Right. And Bitcoin is money. And, and Bitcoin is money. So um, again, a really quick recap. When Bitcoin was starting to be mined, when the first block was mined back in 2009, for the first four years of Bitcoin mining miners' existence, the miner would receive 50 Bitcoin. And this sort of cycle that the, the software um, has encoded in itself, within itself, is every four years, that reward of 50 Bitcoin gets divided in half. So every four years, or approximately 210,000 blocks, uh, the, that amount, that 50, gets divided into half, which, well, in 2000, what, what's two It was actually like in 2012, so it happened a little bit faster than four, four years, uh, oh. just due to the growth of the network. Yeah, because there really weren't as many transactions taking place early on the Bitcoin no, network. No, because more people were adding their computer power to the network and the network couldn't adjust the difficulty of the problem Soon fast enough. enough. Yeah. Okay, so when did the first happening start, take place? Uh, sometime in 2012. Yeah, so it was like three and, and three quarter years. Um, so Still four years, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2000. Oh, yeah, okay. Three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in 2016, it became 12 and a half. And then in May 2020, it became six and a quarter. And sometime in 2024, it'll become three and an eighth and so on and so forth yeah. until the block reward is smaller than the smallest unit of Bitcoin. Uh, and that won't happen until, until the year 2140. 
And just to add a little bit more to that logic, because there's going to be less and less Bitcoin that enters circulation, there the well, the price of Bitcoin or the price at which it is traded is bound to go up if people continue to find it valuable, because there will be less Bitcoin to buy as time passes. So currently, every 10 minutes, on average, six and a quarter Bitcoin enter the network. And uh, for miners, they have to pay their electricity bills in whatever fiat uh, currency or whatever country they're in, but they still have to pay it in fiat. I don't, I, I, like, I don't really know many um, countries that accept Bitcoin as payment for electricity. So that is when the miners uh, trade their Bitcoin for fiat in their particular jurisdiction so they can pay for that electricity bill. Right. So you don't really see miners hoarding Bitcoin necessarily because necessarily, they, necessarily yeah. is really important because they do do that from time to time. Yeah. Um, and that kind of puts a squeeze on the supply, which might jack up the price on a, on a short term uh, basis. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, they do have bills to pay, uh, whether that's uh, the salary of their employees or electricity bills, if that's the way that their setup is uh, well set up. Um, and this forces them to sell their Bitcoin into the market so that we don't really see that hoarding effect. At least that's not been the way that the last uh, 12 years of Bitcoin's existence has happened. Uh, the miners have always uh, gotten rid of uh, most of the Bitcoin that they've produced because of necessity. Uh, yeah, because what are they going to do keeping it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I do know that because of the recent bull run that we experienced in Bitcoin from December to essentially now, um, there has been less reason for miners to essentially sell their Bitcoin into the market because the price of Bitcoin rose so quickly. Uh, right. So they, they can sell less and less to cover more and more of their expenses due to the price increase of Bitcoin. Exactly. And that, uh, well, if that's a bad thing or a good thing, we can, we, this is not that's the episode, episode for maybe. that. <laughs> yeah. But that, just a quick recap on what Bitcoin mining really is. Um, and with respect to Ethereum, the blockchain that is most popular for hosting NFTs, they still use the same sort of algorithm to mine Ethereum blocks yeah, on it's the Ethereum blockchain. Proof of work. And yeah. Mining and proof of work are essentially the same thing. Uh, yeah, I, know I you, disagree. You, you pushed against uh, against that in, in the <laughs> newsletter, so I took it out. But it is like I, I consider them basically the same thing. Like proof of work is the mining algorithm, and well, like, you do mine Bitcoin. Proof using of work proof of work is the algorithm, but mining is the actor running that algorithm, period. I like that. Yeah. That's concise. There we go. Okay. So coming back to the question on the whether or not this is environmentally friendly, it, man, like I, I just, I don't think there's a yes or no kind of answer to that. Well, let's run through some points then. Um, well, I covered lots yeah, of points here. Yeah, I know. But, um, you know, to... Even just to say, hey, do you think that Bitcoin mining is environmentally friendly? Like, in a no, I mean, any mining anything isn't environmentally friendly. But yes, because they're using uh, most of them are using renewable energy, so it's not like it's a huge harm to the environment. No, so like I, I, I like to think of environment something that is quote unquote environmentally friendly from a multifaceted. Um, perspective. So it shouldn't just use green energy, but it should incentivize us to use and develop green energy more and further, right? So it's it's not just that it incentivizes miners to use green energy, it incentivizes miners to develop green energy to make it ever more efficient than it was before. It's It incentivizes them to seek out better and cheaper sources of electricity forever, for as long as the Bitcoin network is alive these miners are going to want to increase their bottom line, right? That's just how our businesses work. If we've got some capitalists in as That's Bitcoin as miners, but also just anyone mining too. Even my, my Ethereum miners would have to incentivize the Ethereum mining. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I do draw a point with unused energy. And this is kind of what I mean by that multifaceted perspective. Um and unused energy is actually a problem with solar and wind energy because we can't tell exactly when the sun will shine or when the wind will blow and by how much. 
right? And so you've got periods of overproduction of wind and solar, uh, and that causes instability in the grids from time to time. And yes, we do have batteries, and yes, we do have ways of rebalancing these electricity grids. But they haven't been implemented yet. Well, they haven't been implemented everywhere, right? They're they're more so experimental, and they're like in the in the process of implementing them. The point is, you've got some amount of energy basically on every grid that goes unused and not what- grid. Yeah, grid. Well, yeah, yeah, but not not like grid in the sense um, like the electricity grid. It's um, like the way that I conceptualize it is that if uh, someone overproduces uh, electricity from a windmill, for example, they can't add it to the gr- uh, to the grid because they have to meet a certain quota. Because over that quota, there is just too much electricity on the grid if it continues to enter it, which is why they need to dump it into the ground. No, that, that's kind of the way it works here in Nova Scotia. Like the it, it doesn't really have a choice but to be added to the grid um and if what what do you mean uh well if the energy is being so you would just not run the windmill at max capacity yeah, yeah. so like we've got lots of windmills and wind farms here in nova scotia that are being run at let's just say 65 percent capacity because if you ran it at 100 percent capacity then you'd be feeding more energy into the grid that than it could handle and that, that's kind of what I mean by, by overproduction. We have the means to, to run the windmills at 100% capacity. We just don't have the capacity on the grid to handle it. And uh, if we do run these things at 100%, then we'd overload the grid. And that unused energy, uh, a lot of the time, is just discharged into the ground. That's what I'm saying. Like I'm not saying that we don't have the ability to run um, renewable energy producing sources. I'm, I'm saying that I don't think the grid can handle it. You were saying that the grid needs to discharge that amount of energy, but I, I don't think that the energy even enters the grid because the grid can't handle it, which is why it needs to be discharged into the ground before it even enters the grid. Right. So I think it's both. Okay. Yeah. I guess both based on jurisdiction. Yeah. So what, what Bitcoin can do in this instance is like, regardless of whether or not the grid can handle it, you can put a Bitcoin mining farm beside a, a green energy farm, whether that's wind or solar. And any overproduction can be fed into uh, powering these miners. And so all of a sudden, you've made use of this energy that would have been produced otherwise, but just discharged into the ground. And so it actually makes use of energy that, I I think I'm just repeating myself at this point, it would just be discharged into the ground. Uh, That's a really good use of the electricity or the energy that is produced for a couple of reasons. One is that if you're going to produce it and discharge it into the ground, well, that sounds like a waste. And... uh, if you're using it to produce Bitcoin or, or you're turning that energy into Bitcoin, then that Bitcoin itself is worth money and the whoever's producing that energy can now make a profit on the energy that they would have otherwise discharged into the ground. And so you've got this, you've got the miners happy, they're making money. You've got the, uh, the energy firm uh, workers and, and company happy because now they're making money on energy that they would have otherwise taken a total loss on. And so the, the economic benefit of this is is twofold. You have some thoughts there? No, no, I want you to continue because that was just one point. True. Well, that's that's kind of the end of the point, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so we can move on to the next one if, if we like. Yeah, which is uh, the recycling of heat. Now, this has proved to be very, very useful um, to miners running um, their farms in colder countries, as well as reusing it for other purposes, like drying uh, herbs or drying fish or drying, well, herbs and fish as well. I can think of Yeah, like kelp, other. algae, um, like aquatic uh, plant matter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just let's let's just break that down for, for our listeners. Uh, these Bitcoin miners, they produce a lot of heat. Basically... Uh, when the electricity is moving through these devices and the devices is harnessing that electricity to, to run and mine the Bitcoin, there's heat waste that is generated from these computers. And this heat waste can be recycled in a, very, a variety of ways, like Maruga said. Uh, I want to say it's waste. It's more of a discharge yeah, or heat a byproduct. Discharge, right. What, heat waste is kind of like a derogatory way to put it. Um, maybe not derogatory. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> You're not wasting heat because it's not like heat is your primary uh, production, right? Right, like heat is a byproduct of running servers. Yeah, so many all at once in the same spot. So what's really cool, like Murga said, in these colder climates, uh, people are installing these 
Bitcoin miners into their homes and then essentially being paid to heat their homes because these miners are making them money rather than paying for oil or electric heat to heat their homes. And so that's really nifty. You no longer need to pay to heat your home. You can get paid in cryptocurrency to heat your home if you live in a cold climate. In the summer, then you're going to produce heat waste and you're going to have to pay double the electricity to cool down the room so that your heater doesn't overheat. So I'm going to pose a counter argument to that. Game. Let's do it. Okay. So you said earlier that most mining farms are close to renewable resources of energy. So I'm yeah. like estimating them to be in a very close vicinity, like within a kilometer or I don't know, half a mile for our listeners who understand miles. Um, in like, so the minor fire ha has to be within that sort of radius. Now, if someone was to reuse the heat and pump it into their homes, like I'd, I don't really know of homes that are close to energy grids, as well as the fact that a miner farm produces noise, like a, a bit of noise if there's oh, a, a ton lot of, of miners. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so like I wouldn't really see there being um, like not a city, but at least a smaller town or a place where that heat can be re re reused to reach homes, unless that's someone running a miner in their basement um, and is still able to be profitable with running a miner in their basement and like be okay with the noise. Like I just, I don't see how that argument is valid to, for reusing of heat for heating homes anymore. Right. That's actually more so what I'm talking about is, is people that are heating their homes with, with electricity. They're not planted beside these, uh, these green energy. Is that even possible though? Oh yeah, totally. It's just that they probably wouldn't be mining Bitcoin. And if they are, then they're part of a pool and uh, receiving like a small commission on the Bitcoin rather than mining actual blocks alone or singularly. Uh, so yeah, all sorts of other cryptocurrencies can be mined. And a lot of these miners don't make a ton of noise. And uh, yeah, you can get these like really neat space heaters. Basically, you plug them into the wall and they just, you know, they generate heat because they're computers mining cryptocurrency. And yeah, they connect up in the internet. You've got the little this cool little phone app that you can boop, boop, boop. Okay, cool. I've got $2 worth of Ethereum today from running my space heater miner. But uh, yeah, it's... That's not... That's, what? <laughs> $2 a day is not very profitable. That's like $700 a year, which is some amount of... Like my power bill when I uh, used to go to university... That was about $1,200 a year. And so instead of paying $1,200 a year, if I could make $700 a year, But that how much more electricity good. would you need to use in or like $1,200 without miner is not the same as $1,200 with the miner running. Sure. Am I breaking down your argument too much? Well, I pulled $2 out of nowhere. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I don't really have a an argument with the number intact there anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, the 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 point of that is um, you can recycle the heat that is produced from operating mining farms, and if someone is operating a couple miners in their basement, they can re reuse it to heat their homes, and or um, larger farms can and have reused it to dry organic material to then resell or sell that organic material. Right. So then you've got like a triple whammy situation going on. Like you're you're using otherwise stranded electricity from a hydroelectric or a solar or a wind farm. You're also then profiting off of the Bitcoin. And then the tertiary effect is that you can create more economic benefit by drawing plant material and selling that uh, selling that kelp or the algae or uh, what is it? Dulse. That's the other one. <laughs> right on. So the, the third point is, uh, what have we covered so far, Keegan? The first one was that renewable resources are used to mine Bitcoin. The second one was that the heat that is produced from mining as a byproduct of mining can be reused to dry organic materials. The third point is that Bitcoin is a more efficient form of energy than other global monetary networks. It's a more efficient money. It's a for more efficient money yeah, Sorry, network. I said energy. Yeah. Um, that's true. So some, 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 sometimes when someone's talking to me and they say, well, um, it uses more electricity than the country of Ireland, for example, I, I find that comparison quite unfair because Bitcoin is a global money. There's 192 countries, right? There's 192, right? That's sure. Last I checked. <laughs> uh, there, there's How often do you check that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you know what I mean. So with the, it's a global money, which means it's accessible in most countries, uh, except ones that have made it illegal, but it's still accessible there. 
point being that it's a global money. You can't really compare the amount of electricity a global money needs to sustain itself to the country, to the electricity consumed by one country. Like it, it just, that's like comparing apples to oranges, in my opinion. Well, yeah, it, I think it is too, because a country has all sorts of different uh, energy requirements and usages. So a country burns fossil fuels for all sorts of reasons. They have nuclear energy providing uh, energy to, to homes, uh, and then they're responsible for some amount of inflow and outflow of flights. Uh, whereas with Bitcoin, it, it's also multifaceted, right? You've got some Bitcoin mining firms powered by hydroelectric. You've got some Bitcoin mining firms powered by coal. Um, and it's it's just kind of a simplistic way of, of posing that argument. And it's uh, it, like, like we stated in the very beginning, it doesn't really account for the nuance of the conversation. So we kind of like to break this down in terms of, uh, okay, what does the U.S. dollar, how much energy does the U.S. dollar, the other global monetary network, how much does that how much energy does that take to to maintain and the answer might surprise you right because the the us dollar and all the infrastructure that accompanies it is all all the banks and all the employees that make up the banks and uh there's a chart here yeah paper currency <laughs> but let's let's dive into that one here for a second so uh did you know that the one dollar bill needs every one dollar bill needs to be replaced approximately every 18 months due to wear and tear and paper bills are made out of cotton and linen. And cotton and linen are plants that need to be grown. And so water and electricity and farming equipment and all the carbon footprint of those things goes into the production of paper currency and then running the minting mills. And I could go on and on and on, right? So again, the, the, the nuance of this conversation is, is quite huge. And when we actually look at the numbers, uh, the, the cost of the, the current monetary system, the current global reserve currency, the U.S. dollar, is quite a lot larger than, uh, than Bitcoin in general. And the number is precisely $28 billion. So we're just reading this off of a chart and we will, again, link this newsletter in the show description. But when you look into it and you scroll down, you'll see the chart that we're referring to. And we have the source listed as well. So if you wanted to go do a little digging yourself, you can do that. So yeah, the paper currency and minting industry for US dollars, the yearly cost is $28 billion with respect to, or compare that against Bitcoin mining, that's $4.5 billion. And that's the cost of energy. The actual energy used is in terms of gigajoules and uh, paper currency and minting is 39 million gigajoules and uh, Bitcoin mining is 183 million gigajoules. So the energy used is quite a lot more, but the cost is quite a lot lower. Why? Is because Bitcoin uses lower uh, or cheaper electricity sources. I mean, this is just kind of the, the proof of that, right? More energy used, less cost of energy. Where does the less cost come from? It comes from green energy sources. This is so interesting. There's one metric in here for the banking system and the yearly cost to maintain banking system looks like it's $1,870 billion. Right, so $1.8 trillion. Right, okay. And then the energy uses. 2340 million gigajoules which is quite a bit more <laughs> i don't even know like, how to expand that well like but, but what is this like banking system for the world or is it banking system for the united states of america so i've linked Library. the source in the newsletter and right. i'm not sure how that actually breaks down and where that statistic uh, blows up into but um yeah yeah we can we can follow that source on at a later date or, right on. or on so, your own discretion i guess the point that we're trying to drive home is that um it is in effect, more efficient than other um, monetary networks. Yeah, I guess these are all monetary networks, aren't they? Because yeah. there's gold mining, gold recycling, and then governments listed on here too, which are all monetary instruments. So Bitcoin mining seems to be least um, or the last one on that chart. Okay, now I will say here, this looks like a biased, um, biased table because there's probably five or six more things that are that are less costly and use less energy and that fall below Bitcoin mining. Um, and they're just unlisted here because it's either one, not relevant, or two, it wouldn't really prove the, the point that Bitcoin mining is efficient in terms of maintaining itself as a global money. Yeah, so right for, for our listeners who have done this research and, and know for arguments that we are missing against um, this, in this particular debate, please, Please reach out to us because we like we can never know enough. We know as much as we know today because of the research that we've done beforehand. But as new material comes to our knowledge, 
we will change our opinions. We will... Yeah, we're pretty flexible with our, with yeah, our mindsets. Yeah, because like we don't know it all. <laughs> we absolutely do not know as much that, as there is to know. So if you know different material, then we would love to hear from you. And we will make another episode on what we didn't know about how harmful Bitcoin yeah, was for the Yeah, we can come back to this in a year's time and see if the, the energy debate has changed at all. Yeah, or if this argument even stands... So now I think that this is a good point in time where we can actually uh, talk a little trash about how, how bad Bitcoin is for the environment. Okay, let's do it. Cool. So I, in my opinion, this is kind of like the silver bullet against Bitcoin. This is a couple of things that it, it absolutely cannot get away from. Uh, and that is that the mining hardware. Uh, this is actually the, one of the least brought up points that I've hear against Bitcoin, but it's actually one of the easiest points to make. And that is that the, all the mining hardware that runs the Bitcoin network needs to be uh, pulled out of the ground, refined into computer equipment, plugged in or transported to the place of mining and then plugged into the wall and start consuming electricity. And what is the carbon footprint of the assembly of the Bitcoin network itself? And I would I would venture to guess that it's quite quite a lot. Right. Uh, so this is this is if you were looking for a silver bullet against Bitcoin, this this might be it uh, that the mining equipment in general is bad for the environment, but the same also could be said for all the computer equipment that runs every single mainframe, banking mainframe, the computer that you're uh, listening to this on right now, your phone, right? We're all guilty of uh, of being a part to the, uh, the mining of rare minerals and conflict minerals that go into the hardware that, that we're using to consume the internet. Uh, so that was the point and the counterpoint all in one there. Yeah, well, I just find um, anything that goes before bad for the environment is, is just so interesting. Like it, I just, I can't see anything be as cut and dry or as simply put as X, Y, Z is bad for the environment because of the kind of society that we live in and have built for ourselves. So, right. I suppose another counter argument to that would be that the computer equipment is producing more economic benefit than what is harmful to the environment. Uh, yeah, but how good is economic benefit if you don't have anything to sustain the economy in? <laughs> right, exactly. I love like right. If we destroy the earth, then we have got no economy in the first place. Yeah, right. you can't eat money. <laughs> <laughs> I love that was my yearbook quote. Actually, was it? Yeah, there, it's a. Uh, I think it is a an American native proverb. Uh, when all the fish in the rivers are gone, and we're all the. Something, and all something, the something. water in the ocean is yep. undrinkable and. Man will know that he cannot eat money. The rivers are dry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like we know that now, but we're just, <laughs> we're just not doing anything about it. You definitely it. can't eat Bitcoin. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so we can mine all the Bitcoin in the world and use all the energy to do that, but we can't eat Bitcoin at the end of the day. I was trying to find a, a fun thing to say against that, but I, I can't. Cool. All right, so are we going to trash Bitcoin a bit more? Yeah, I think that we we probably can. Um, let's touch on the fact that there's more efficient blockchains out there. So the blockchain that Bitcoin runs on is called the Bitcoin blockchain. And uh, for uh, for our audience out there who knows more about tech, a blockchain is a backlink list. And for for those who are hearing perhaps blockchain for the first time, listen, to put it in a really tongue-in-cheek way, it's a chain of blocks, Where blocks on the computer. And blocks contain transactions and the the. Bitcoin blockchain is a record of every single transaction in chronological order that has ever taken place. Yeah, you can also just think of it as a table chain where the table has, let's say, only 10, 10 rows and you can only enter transactions that are sent on this particular blockchain or on this particular network. You can only record 10 at a time. So there's only 10 transactions in a table. And like Keegan said, it's chronologically ordered so that you know what to place when. And because it's running on a lot of computers all at the same time, you can't possibly go and change one transaction because you'd have to do it on all these computers. And these computers currently are in the hundreds and thousands or hundred thousands and are distributed around the world. So it makes it essentially impossible to change a transaction that has taken place on the Bitcoin network, making it an immutable um, software. Database. Database. Yeah. Immutable database. So... Having said that, yes, there are more efficient blockchains. Right. And they use something. So if Bitcoin uses proof of work and proof of work is responsible for all this energy usage, there's other blockchains out there called uh, that use something called proof of stake. And uh, you just have to take our word on this right now. It's uh, much more energy efficient, uh, but doesn't quite achieve the same result as Bitcoin does. They're like they're 
algorithms that do it differently for different reasons. And so there is actually really good reasons for proof of work and for the quote unquote wastefulness of proof of work. And uh, I think that we're going to touch on that before the end of the episode. But uh, yeah, just there are more efficient blockchains out there in terms of transaction throughput. So Bitcoin yeah. doesn't produce as many transactions or can't um, process as many transactions as the Visa network, for example, or some of these other uh, blockchain networks. Uh, it tops out at about six transactions per second. And these other blockchains are able to do hundreds or thousands of, of transactions per second. And so in that sense, Bitcoin is not as efficient, uh, but you can there's several different ways that you can measure the efficiency of, of a network. And uh, I think we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah, well, one of the arguments that I've heard come up among um, the people that ask me about Bitcoin is, well, aren't you afraid that some of the newer blockchains are going to take over Bitcoin? And the answer to that is no. Um, but that is definitely in a lot of people's minds who are just learning about Bitcoin, just learning about the cryptocurrency ecosystem and just learning about the technology that underpins it. And that is blockchain technology. So, yes, there's there already exist. There have existed for a while now, at least a couple of years, blockchains that are faster and can process more transactions and are more efficient with respect to the usage of energy. But Bitcoin's story supersedes them all. Yeah, it's got a different value offering altogether. Yeah. So, yes, there are more efficient blockchains, um, but Bitcoin comes up, uh, comes out on top always. It has been anyway. In the future, we only time will tell. Um, but yeah, the story of Bitcoin is just so different from every other um, blockchain or cryptocurrency that is ever going to come out. So let's now talk about the last point that we're going to make, and this will tie in nicely to the uh, the whole NFT argument, uh, because uh, so the energy cost per transaction is the typical argument made against Bitcoin transactions and NFTs. And so there's a site that you can go to um, that will calculate the carbon footprint of your NFT. Uh, there's, it'll tell you, a different site will tell you the carbon footprint of any given Bitcoin transaction. And so I, I pulled one number here and the average Bitcoin transaction is about 741 kilowatt hours, according to, uh, to this website. Uh, but the problem with that metric is that you can't measure um, the, uh, the, the cost of one Bitcoin transaction because that's not the, the point, that's not where the energy is being used. So your Bitcoin transaction is not directly consuming energy on the network. The network is using the energy to produce blocks, which transactions happen to be inside of. The transactions being processed by the network is sort of like a happy side effect of uh, the energy usage. It's not the direct reason for the network itself. The, the network isn't, <laughs> there could be zero transactions moving through the Bitcoin blockchain at any given time, and the block is still going to produce be produced, which means that the energy spent to produce the block is still going to be spent. So a block containing zero transactions is still going to cost the same amount of electricity as if a block that contained 2000 transactions. And so the analogy we like to use here is uh, I want you to imagine you're on a flight. Okay. And instead of, uh, let's say the flight can contain a hundred people, but the flight only contains five people. What is your carbon footprint of that flight? Can you calculate that? If you're one of those five people on that plane, is it a larger carbon footprint rather than if there's 100 people? And so if you're responsible for one transaction in that block instead of um, and there's only five transactions in that block, do you are you responsible for more of that, the carbon footprint of that block? And, and I would make the argument, no, um, you are somehow responsible for the energy uh, of that flight. But that flight's going to take place whether or not you're on the plane or not. Unless there's zero people. Unless there's zero people and they just straight up cancel the flight. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of the nuance of, of this conversation. And this is where the, the NFT conversation really comes in because people are saying, OK, the carbon footprint of this NFT is this. And the problem with that is that energy isn't going directly to creating that NFT. That NFT is a transaction on the Ethereum blockchain and that Ethereum blockchain is going to produce a block regardless of if you minted that NFT or not. And so it's actually kind of our responsibility to put more transactions in it to get more, quote unquote, efficiency out of the block if, if you're using that argument. And so we, we, have, we have a responsibility to put more blocks, or sorry, more transactions in these blocks. 
and that's kind of a weird a weird way to to go about making that point uh but the point needs to be made nonetheless right what, on what are you thinking well i was thinking of um i was thinking of um, some sort of um, argument against that being let's just stop using planes altogether or let's just stop using bitcoin altogether because of the amount of electricity it uses or let's just stop the cryptocurrency industry and that again seems to be one extreme because that's not going to be possible I, I just i can't see enough people care about the environment to such an extent that they they would say okay let's stop let's stop the bitcoin mining network all over um, and if that was the case, then oil and gas would have been redundant a while ago because we've had much more efficient energy systems for a while now. But because of the lobbying that oil and gas industries companies have against legislation that uh, essentially enables them to continue operating, that hasn't happened yet. So in the same way, like we're not going to see Bitcoin go anywhere. I just I can't see that be completely shut down because of this environmental debate. Um, so, like adding to your point, this is going to happen no matter what. So, what are you going to do about? It? Are you going to <laughs> join the Bitcoin network because of this other the other value propositions that it offers, or will you still continue to be against it because of the information that you have uh, against Bitcoin mining? Yeah. So, I, I think we're ready to conclude this conversation, um, and and I do want to conclude with a couple of thoughts. Look, I want our opinions and the facts and the and what we've said on this episode to be crushed look if you can go out there and present us with studies and arguments against the things that we've said today we want to know about them because i, I do like to think of myself as environmentally as an environmentalist first and a bitcoiner second um i know that's hard to believe but it's i mean be hard to implement too <laughs> Because <laughs> like, what are you going to do if you find out that you're actually contributing to harming the environment sell your bitcoin well, possibly, or look for an alternative. L look, I, or or make the Bitcoin network better. There's or make the Bitcoin network better. That's right. So you said one thing in particular this episode that I I really liked, and this was a philosophy that I had when I was younger, and I still have. If we don't fix the environment, we don't have a planet on which to have Bitcoin. Right. Right. I love Bitcoin a lot, but it doesn't matter if uh like the Bitcoin network doesn't matter if the world is on fire. Okay, so if we're making a logical fallacy somewhere here in our arguments, and uh, and Bitcoin is not actually going to be responsible for a green re revolution in uh, in finding cheaper and cheaper green energy sources, I want to know that. I, I really do want to know that. And so, uh, listeners, hello, please reach out to us at ready at gofullcrypto.com and send us studies. We we like to do reading on this sort of thing. Or just get in touch with us to tell us we're wrong. We love that too. Totally. We, we really love people telling us that we're wrong yeah. because then we learn about something that we didn't know before. Um, and yeah, actually, I have a really interesting way to end this because I'm, I'm just looking around when Keegan was talking, I was touching my neck and I noticed that I have a book sitting on um, our bookshelf, which I've been wanting to start uh, continue reading and it's it's atlas shrugged by ayn rand so if we have any ayn rand fans out there who want to get in touch and say hey you read it and you either hate it or love it <laughs> i'd love to hear about it because i want to be encouraged to finish reading it and um i haven't even gotten to the good bits yet so reach right. reach <laughs> that was a pretty strange way to, to end yeah, this episode yeah <laughs> sorry i just felt like saying it and I, I would regret it if i didn't you know get it out there so tell us we're wrong or share your thoughts with us on the bitcoin mining for sure uh, but any ayn rand fans or haters let us know let me know specifically because I, yeah, yeah, I haven't read anyway. it yeah not intending to <laughs> all right thank you everyone um one quick and very small last request if you're enjoying our show please rate us please write us a review on apple podcasts because that really helps our show uh, be noticed by other people as well and the best thing that you could do for it is get your friends or family hooked to it if you're hooked to it and um, that'll help us spread the message of cryptocurrencies there we go thank you everyone for listening and stay tuned